Chapter Thirteen of the Revolt of the Angels. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Revolt of the Angels by Anatole France, translated by Mrs. Wilfred Jackson. Chapter Thirteen, wherein we hear the beautiful archangel Zeta unfold her lofty designs, and are shown the wings of Mirar, all moth-eaten, in a cupboard. Thus talking, the two archangels had reached the boulevard Rochechouart. As his eye lighted on a tavern, whence, through the mist, the light fell golden on the pavement, Theophile suddenly bethought himself of the archangel Ithuriel, who, in the guise of a poor but beautiful woman, was living in wretched lodgings on La Butte, and came every evening to read the papers at this tavern. The musician often met her there. Her name was Zita. Theophile had never been curious enough to inquire into the opinions entertained by this archangel, but it was generally supposed that she was a Russian nihilist, and he took her to be, like Arkady, an atheist and a revolutionary. He had heard remarkable tales about her. People said she was a hermaphrodite, and that as the active and passive principles were united within her, in a condition of stable equilibrium, she was an example of a perfect being, finding in herself complete and continuous satisfaction, contented yet unfortunate in that she knew not desire. "'But,' added Theophile, "'I have my doubts about it. I believe she's a woman and subject to love like everything else that has life and breath in the universe. Besides, someone caught her one day kissing her hand to a strapping peasant fellow. He offered to introduce his companion to her. The two angels found her alone, reading. As they drew near, she lifted her great eyes in whose deeps of molten gold little sparks of light were forever a dance. Her brows were contracted into that austere fold which we see on the forehead of the Pythian Apollo. Her nose was perfect and descended without a curve. Her lips were compressed and imparted a disdainful and supercilious air to her whole countenance. Her tawny hair, with its gleaming lights, was carelessly adorned with the tattered remnants of a huge bird of prey. Her garments lay about her in dark and shapeless folds. She was leaning her chin on a small, ill-tended hand. Arkady, who had but recently heard references made to this powerful archangel, showed her marked esteem and placed entire confidence in her. He immediately proceeded to tell of the progress his mind had made towards knowledge and liberty of his lucubrations in the Desparvieux library, of his philosophical reading, his studies of nature, his works on exegesis, his anger and his contempt when he recognized the deception of the demiurge, his voluntary exile among mankind, and, finally, of his project to stir up rebellion in heaven. Ready to dare all against an odious master, whom he pursued with inextinguishable hatred, he expressed his profound happiness at finding in Ithuriel 
a mind capable of counseling and helping him in his great undertaking. "'You are not a very old hand at revolutions,' said Zita, smiling. Nevertheless, she doubted neither his sincerity nor the firmness of his declared resolve, and she congratulated him on his intellectual audacity. "'That is what is most lacking in our people,' she said. "'They do not think.' and she added almost immediately, "'But on what can intelligence sharpen its wits in a country where the climate is soft and existence made easy? Even here, where necessity calls for intellectual activity, nothing is rarer than a person who thinks.' "'Nevertheless,' replied Maurice's guardian angel, "'man has created science.' The important thing is to introduce it into heaven. When the angels possess some notions of physics, chemistry, astronomy, and physiology, when the study of matter shows them worlds in an atom, and an atom in the myriads of planets, when they see themselves lost between these two infinities, when they weigh and measure the stars, analyze their composition, and calculate their orbits, they will recognize that these monsters work in obedience to forces which no intelligence can define, or that each star has its particular divinity or indigenous god, and they will realize that the gods of Aldebaran, Betelgeuse, and Sirius are greater than Yaldabaoth. When at length they come to scrutinize with care the little world in which their lot is cast, and piercing the crust of the earth note the gradual evolution of its flora and fauna and the rude origin of man who under the shelter of rocks and in cave dwellings had no god but himself when they discover that united by the bonds of universal kinship to plants beasts and men they have successively endued all forms of organic life from the simplest and most primitive until they became at length the most beautiful of the children of light, they will perceive that Yaldabaoth, the obscure demon of an insignificant world lost in space, is imposing on their credulity when he pretends that they issued from nothingness at his bidding, they will perceive that he lies in calling himself the infinite, the eternal, the almighty, and that, so far from having created worlds, he knows neither their number nor their laws. They will perceive that he is like unto one of them. They will despise him, and, shaking off his tyranny, will fling him into the Gehenna where he has hurled those more worthy than himself. "'Do you think so?' murmured Zita, puffing out the smoke of her cigarette. "'Nevertheless,' This knowledge by virtue of which you reckon to enfranchise heaven has not destroyed religious sentiment on earth. In countries where they have set up and taught this science of physics, of chemistry, astronomy, and geology, which you think capable of delivering the world, Christianity has retained almost all its sway. If the positive sciences have had such a feeble influence on the beliefs of mankind, it is not likely they will exercise a greater one on the opinions of the angels, 
and nothing is of such dubious efficacy as scientific propaganda. "'What?' exclaimed Arcadi. "'You deny that science has given the church its death-blow? Is it possible? The church, at any rate, judges otherwise. Science, which you believe has no power over her, is redoubtable to her, since she proscribes it. From Galileo's dialogues to Monsieur Allard's little manuals, she has condemned all its discoveries, and not without reason. In former days, when she gathered within her fold all that was great in human thought, the church held sway over the bodies as well as over the souls of men, and imposed unity of obedience by fire and sword. Today, her power is but a shadow, and the elect among the great minds have withdrawn from her. That is the state to which science has reduced her. Possibly, replied the beautiful archangel. But how slowly, with what vicissitudes, at the price of what efforts, of what sacrifices? Zita did not absolutely condemn scientific propaganda, but she anticipated no prompt or certain results from it. For her, it was not so much a question of enlightening the angels. The important thing was to enfranchise them. In her opinion, one only exerted a strong influence on individuals, whoever they might be, by rousing their passions and appealing to their interests. Persuade the angels that they will cover themselves with glory by overthrowing the tyrant, and that they will be happier once they are free. That is the most practical policy to attempt, and, for my own part, I am devoting all my energies to its fulfillment. It is certainly no light task, because the kingdom of heaven is a military autocracy, and there is no public opinion in it. Nevertheless, I do not despair of starting an intellectual movement. I do not wish to boast, but no one is more closely acquainted than I with the different classes of angelic society. Throwing away her cigarette, Zita pondered for a moment. Then, amid the click of ivory balls on the billiard table, the clinking of glasses, the curt voices of the players announcing their points, the monotonous answers of the waiters to their customers, the archangel enumerated the entire population of the spirits of light. We must not count on the dominations, the virtues, nor the powers which compose the celestial lower middle class. I have no need to tell you, for you know it as well as I, how selfish, base, and cowardly the middle classes are. As to the great dignitaries, the ministers, the generals, thrones, cherubim, and seraphim, you know what they are. They will take no action. Let us, however, once prove ourselves the stronger, and we shall have them with us. For if autocrats do not readily acquiesce in their own downfall, once overthrown, all their forces recoil upon themselves it will be well to work the army. Entirely loyal as the army is, 
it will allow itself to be influenced by a clever anarchist propaganda but our greatest and most constant efforts ought to be brought to bear upon the angels of your own category arcady the guardian angels who dwell upon earth in such great numbers they fill the lowest ranks of the hierarchy are for the most part discontented with their lot and more or less imbued with the ideas of the present century she had already conferred with the guardian angels of montmartre clignancourt and fee au calvaire she had devised the plan of a vast association of spirits on earth with the view of conquering heaven to accomplish this task she said i have established myself in france but not because i had the folly to believe myself freer in a republic than in a monarchy quite the contrary for there is no country where the liberty of the individual is less respected than in france but the people are indifferent to everything connected with religion nowhere else therefore should i enjoy such tranquillity she invited arcady to unite his efforts to hers and when they separated at the door of the brasserie the steel shutter was already making its groaning descent above all said zita you must meet the gardener i will take you to his rustic home one day theophile who had slumbered during all this talk begged his friend to come home with him and smoke a cigarette he lived quite near in the small street opposite leading off the boulevard arcady would see bouchotte she would please him they climbed up five flights of stairs bouchotte had not yet returned a tin of sardines lay open on the piano red stockings coiled about the armchairs it's a little place but it's comfortable said theophile and gazing out of the window which looked out on the russet-colored night with its myriad lights he added one can see the sacre coeur his hand on arcady's shoulder he repeated several times i am glad to see you then dragging his former companion in glory into the kitchen passage he put down his candlestick drew a key from his pocket opened a cupboard and raising a linen covering disclosed two large white wings you see he said i have preserved them from time to time when i am alone i go and look at them it does me good and he dabbed his reddened eyes he stood a while overcome by silent emotion then holding the candle near the long pinions which were molting their down in places he murmured they are eaten away you must put some pepper on them said arcady i have done so replied the angelic musician sighing i have put pepper camphor and powder on them but nothing does any good End of chapter 13